gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. What's happening everybody and welcome to this, the latest episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. I'm your host Stephen Wilson and today, just a couple of weeks off of WWE reviving the King of the Ring concept that must be listened to this show after we talked about King of the Ring winners. <laughs> um, we are here today to talk about tournament wrestling in the current era. We're going to be talking about the, the history of tournaments in wrestling, what ones worked well, what ones didn't work well, uh, ones that we see quite regularly that we enjoy and how in the coming months and years companies and promotions can use tournament wrestling better and we're going to have our booking hats on and try and think of our own couple of ideas. <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> Three armchairs. <laughs> before we get started, before I introduce our lovely panel, I use that term lovely loosely, uh, for our back catalogue on all episodes from Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, subscribe to us on any good podcasting site. We're on iTunes, all good Android podcasting sites, and Spotify. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet, and we have a lovely website, suplexretweet.com, where you can find anything that we do, be it articles, podcasts, and interviews. Right, now in the week where Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet drew, uh, put together the names for our first ever Secret Santa, <laughs> <laughs> we give you the greatest cheat treat of all that money can't buy. <laughs> our panel this evening. First, this man really needs to get something for his secret Santa that will seriously distress him, but the limit's only a tenner, so he's a bit screwed. It's David Hockney. <laughs> I, the, you wouldn't believe the number of things you could get with a tenner, but hey-ho, it's, uh, that's, that's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. It's, you don't know what to expect. You're yourself from lightning, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I wondered where Dave went in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> we promised we'd never uh, speak of that again, Dave just, How cold it was cheap? Oh Dave just ruined the mood. <laughs> Uh, and next is a man who really wished that someone would buy him the courage to get out from under his brother's thumb. That's Scott McLeod. <laughs> Excuse me, my brother will not be answering that. What he said. The advocate for Scott. Mm-hmm. Says I, mean, he needs one. I mean, we're not not even to tell people that when you get them, but if I get you, if I can, you're getting a turd through your letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> It cost you a tenner to do it. To do it. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes ago, Dave. Take Scott forty-four cents. Touche. What have said that about you? Oh, <laughs> getting serious, and that comes up to our next, our next panelist, who really would just like someone to buy his mother's love because this dog's got his arms. Ross McLeod. My mother loves me very much, and that's what I tell myself. I get to sleep at night as I cry. That's how you tell Haley as you can, like spoon the dog. Delete, delete, delete. How is it out of you and Steve the bookie? You're the bigger prick. Because <laughs> I eventually don't give you your money. <laughs> And of course, we've got the man who's still searching for a cattle prod, is so much so that he can only find a vibrator on his wish list. It's quack. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that, no problem at all. <laughs> is what he said when he tried to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said when somebody used it on him. <laughs> Stephen, what, what, I don't need to know about your dreams. Move on, please. <laughs> you know what I dream of? 
tournament wrestling. Let's start with the wow. show. Oh, <laughs> bro, careful. <laughs> I, 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 I held something all over my head. <laughs> I thought when he said that, I was like, Jesus, you have some boring dreams, don't you? Uh, he's definitely dreaming of Becky Lynch. He's wearing his man t-shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, right, let's get on to the topic of today's show, and that is tournament wrestling <laughs> in the modern era. Before we get on to talking about tournaments, I'm just going to ask the panel what uh, they think of the concept of tournament wrestling. Dave, since you're being an absolute arrogant cheeky bugger, that's just that review. What's your thought on the concept of tournament wrestling? I love tournaments, like simply because it has that. Um, unlike you know, regular like one-on-one matches, particularly when it comes to wrestling, there's that greater sense of competition there's uh, an element of diversity and variety when it comes to a tournament concept and there's also a heavy amount of unpredictability and excitement and you can't, I just can't get enough of it Absolutely uh, Scott what's your thought on the concept of I, I agree with Dave like, I, I love a tournament myself and like outside of WWE tournaments are quite common in like, like places like Japan we'll get to that a bit later but like uh, it's something up until recent, a few years ago WWE wasn't really doing a lot of they weren't really taking advantage of it but I think in the last few years they've started doing more tournaments like you said they recently brought back King of the Ring I think it's always a great opportunity whether you're doing it across a series of weeks or you're doing it all in one night it can be a great way to tell a story and a great endurance test for those involved it's a great way of telling a story it's a great way of uh, pushing untalented people like Billy Gunn in our face I joke Billy Gunn <laughs> <laughs> Billy Gunn is actually a good wrestler but he should not have won that King of the Ring uh, two hour ass man Right, <laughs> yes, it was horrendously booked after. He was much like Sheamus and other King of the Rings. Um, yeah, it makes like see if you put on SmackDown Chad Gable, Shelton Benjamin, who haven't been featured in weeks or months even, you wouldn't really care about it. But as soon as you put a tournament round it, and it's like, you know, maybe it's two guys like say a Zack Ryder or Kurt Hawkins or fan favourites online. If they don't, if they win this match, they're on TV again next week. So. It makes you root for people and you're like, yes, people I like are getting a chance. Mm-hmm. And as Scott says, it's a good way to tell a story either over a number of weeks or even in one night. Like It makes people either look incredibly strong because they've gone the distance or it makes heels look even worse because they've cheated their way through over the, the valued babyface who's like dug in and you know he only beat him because he was cheated and exhausted. I think there's two ways I think in wrestling that you can easily utilise what guys or girls who don't get a chance on TV a tournament and a rumble yes. I think it's the fair way or a yeah. boy or something like that just yeah. give them a chance to throw them in maybe get a bit of relevance in an angle yeah or possibly money in the bank depending on who's involved yeah but they don't really throw on they utilise people really in money in the bank these days you know mm. there's always usually guys who don't really need it's to win often, money in the bank it's often upper tier guys plus a few on the side just sort of uh, highlight the, the, obviously the diversity of the roster definitely excuse, excuse me that, that up and coming youngster Brock Lesnar had not been featured <laughs> on TV since Wrestlemania when he won Money in the Bank and I think you know he, he did well because I don't think Vince McMahon's a fan of Brock Lesnar I don't think he pays him very well so you know <laughs> for him to win that match valiantly I think shows the value of these sort of matches do you actually believe the stuff you say sometimes <laughs> no do <don't. laughs> <laughs> so um, is that his first ladder match as well mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a 100% record in them yeah. <laughs> anyway enough about Brock let's talk about let's actually talk about tournaments and let's I think it's a good time to talk about before we talk about actual tournaments that go on regularly and a bit later on the show, I think it's, we should talk about some ones that have happened in the past that maybe worked well and maybe not didn't work well for the reasons that we stated. I'm going to start the conversation off with an easy one. Cruiserweight Classic. Oh, yes. Yep. Very, very well. It's the typical way of how it got you invested. We saw with the original start of 205 Live when they just kind of threw everyone on your screen. Mm-hmm. It was a case that you get invested in people. 
because yeah. there was something at stake. As soon as something wasn't at stake and they didn't have a clear plan, mm-hmm. that is a that's an example of how tournament wrestling works. Also, sometimes the downfall of tournament, like what do you do once the tournament ends? But the tournament itself, just looking at it, was amazing. You know, you had the Brian Kendrick redemption story. You had Kota Ibushi making his first foray in elite American uh, wrestling. You had TJP his redemption story. Uh, so many the, the DIY. Uh, match itself oh, was sensational. It's just match. so many things going on there. Yeah, and then forget about the fact as well that one of the things I actually talked about, I think, in, in the past is Mustafa Ali out in the first round. Mm. <laughs> Look at him now. And also, how can we forget about Brian? No, no, Brian. Hi, Daniel Bryan's magnificent commentary of Brian Kendrick's finisher. Oh. The bully challenge! <laughs> oh, God, he loved the submission, Scott. Yeah. I think. One of the things that brought up really brought up the quality of Brian Kendrick matches, and not, not that he's not a good wrestler, he is. But the fact that he had Daniel Bryan, who you, everybody knew, at least those who were watching knew they were friends, and they were telling that story, especially in the Kota Bushi match in the quarterfinal, where Abushi was coming in, the other side, he was the favourite mm-hmm. going into it, and you had Brian Kendrick who had gotten further than most people thought he would, because him and Tajiri were the two returning guys, and Tajiri had already went out, mm-hmm. but Kendrick had gotten a bit further than people thought he would, so you had the story of, like, is Kendrick actually going to be able to do it? They, you could try and swerve this and push you out this far, and then you had that moment after the match where, before Kendrick knew if he was going to get signed, the moment between him and him and Brian in the ring when they hugged. Yeah, I mean, you talked about moment, uh, David. There was another moment in terms of something like that with Cedric Alexander in that tournament as oh. well. That just shows how well they can utilise people on defeat in a tournament. Yeah, Cedric is, you know, I think the fans sort of summed it up best after his match with, I think it was Kota Bushi. Yeah. Like, please sign Cedric. I mean, if people are chanting that and then Triple H comes out from behind the stage to. To give you endorsement, mm. I mean, you can't really sort of say anything else. Like the fans love this guy, and you know the fact he's getting more opportunities nowadays. The fact that Two Hundred Five Lives kind of kind of quietened down a bit these days. It, it sort of evolved over over the years and stuff because obviously the cruiserweight was sort of his division, but the fact that he's made that transition is is remarkable. You could not well, you so. could knock out this tournament in the second round. Zach Sable Jr. As well as you talked about Cedric Alexander, the police signed Cedric, and he says okay. And since then, Cedric's wrestled you know at WrestleMania for the cruiserweight title and won. He's you know as much as we might not like the Saudi shows, they're massively packed. That must be such a feeling for an entertainer. Mm-hmm. He wrestled in front of eighty thousand in Sydney, mm-hmm. even though he lost the match. You know he's that was in the space of less than seven months. He wrestled in front of seventy thousand plus people three times, and it, that's not bad for somebody that went out in the second round. I know it's it's, it's incredible. See when you look back at the names that are in that tournament, it's actually. The amount of them are actually still signed by some sort of company. You've got uh, Arya Davari's in there, you've got Singh Brothers, uh, Fabio Nightmare as well. His match with Jack Gallagher is a sleeper match in that tournament. Yeah. It's your first big exposure to him. Yeah, definitely. And like one of the things when you look at how good all these matches were, you look back and you know, all that match was crying that. That's one of the frustrating things when you watch what two or five live tournament when they try to do tournaments after like the tournament crown the new champion, which Cedric obviously won uh, in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. It's like compared to this, like it didn't capture that same feeling because they were in front of the same two or five live audience that were that hadn't really had a chance to care about them, whereas they were in front of the full sale audience who were really into it and knew most of these guys. I think that's why when people heard any the cruise rates would probably be merging with NXT people were like I think they'll be in front of the full sale audience again. And I was hoping that would maybe just be like how it was in this tournament. So we talk about tournaments that are working well now, uh, and Scott and David talked about obviously how 205 Live cooled down a bit once that started off. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
once Enzo had the title stripped of him and we got into the tournament that Cedric won that really revamped 205 Live because mm. you had guys like Tyler really Bate from really NXT UK Roderick Strong, Roderick Strong was from NXT and you had you had that just rebuilding the Cruiserweight division so First Buddy Murphy for the end of the Cruiserweight Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, that introduced him to us, and then obviously he had his story with Cedric post-WrestleMania up until the October show in Australia, so, like, they can rebuild a wrestler, but they can also rebuild a brand. I remember that tournament, as, as you say, this, it followed on from the heels of the controversy with uh, Enzo Amore and his mm-hmm. release from the company, so they had to figure out a way of actually reinvigorating the tournament. I think the thing Davis Ross said, it did, as good as the tournament was, it was something that you had to kind of tell people it was on because mm-hmm. of how well 205 Live had slipped. But yeah, definitely. I think the fact, obviously, bringing in Drake Maverick as their sort of, uh, as their general manager, they needed somebody to lead the charge when it came to this tournament. This is, they couldn't just like announce it out of nowhere because then there'd be no sort of feeling behind it because obviously they have a, a vacant championship and they had needed a leadership sort of position to fill. So having that that person being Drake Maverick leading the charge with a new tournament, say this is two or five live pressing the reset button, and we're gonna absolutely make it electric on the build towards WrestleMania. I think that was the sort of driving force behind what made the tournament so great. Your man did a lot better in this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rod- Roddy did pretty well. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Gulak. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Semi-finalist, they get knocked out by Mustafa Ali, who was yeah. the MVP of that tournament despite not winning the actual. Uh, title in all fairness though I think Cedric was gunning for it for for quite a while so I I had no complaints about him but fair play to Mustafa it made a star out of him now we talk about we've talked about that's two tournaments that have done well in a way I'm going to flip it a wee bit we're talking about a past tournament that did not do so well one we've talked about on past shows in the Many, many times. Scott, I'll go to you in the first one for a particular reason. The Brawl for All tournament. <laughs> I don't know what you talking about. I thought it was a rising success. <laughs> this was one that WWE tried to do a tournament. Think outside the box. You know, some tournaments work, which we may talk about later on, that still go on. But this one just did not hit the right notes. Yeah, because like, MMA wasn't what it is now with UFC, but... I think it was still gaining some popularity in some areas, so W was trying to capitalise on that because that whole thing was they were capitalising on what was popular at that time. So and they came up with this idea, and it's one of those things where it was you could tell it wasn't going to be a good idea from the off because like one of the first was saying like oh this is a real fight. So what you're saying, why should we care about everything else you're portraying on this show? Mm-hmm. And like, we, you come there just to see like Austin and that, and you have to sit through 20 minutes of them sitting, changing the ring, putting them up boxing ropes for like a two-minute fight, and then another 20 minutes of them putting it down again. Like, if you watch about their actual like, even in the first round, there's chance of we want wrestling. Yeah, with something else, uh, Ross, uh, they kind of um, the plans kind of went out the window very early on in this tournament when um, the man who many who was apparently tipped to win it and mm. the reason they did the tournament and Doctor Death Steve Williams mm-hmm. got. Knocked out by <laughs> Scott's alter ego, Bart Gunn. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously he's he was a well-known hard man, like just a naturally talented fighter, and no one told him that. I believe Bart Gunn was either an amateur boxer or an amateur wrestler. He was he was one one or the other, but he was someone who could also handle himself. And when they went out there, and said, "There's no script, go fight." Nobody expected Bart Gunn to knock him on his backside. <laughs> Very much the Tyson v Douglas of its WWE day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> It's one of the things where like, you think it was kind of their own fault. Like, we're going to have the shoot contest with a predetermined winner. Yeah. Like, And the, the funniest thing was they prepaid 
Doctor Death, the winner's purse. So when Barkon knocked him out and then went on to win the tournament, it had, I believe it was like, was it $10,000 or $100,000, something, like, something that. like that. Bart Gunn then got himself $100,000, so <laughs> fair play to Bart Gunn. <laughs> yeah, was it not 44000 <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't about at that time. Talk to Steve Williams was going to... Um, once he had won that, he was going to feud with Austin after Mania. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I forget, Neil, that actually ended... I pretty much ended his career, because he got injured actually getting knocked out. Well, I think it was... Oh, he stick ended kind of the aura of, like, a tough guy, I think, because Bart Gunn had just been positioned as a mid-card tag team guy. And then you see, like... Oh, we can't really put you in the main event. We've just seen you get your arse handed to you by a, me- a former member of the Smoking Guns. Uh, Dave, I'll vote you on this next one because this is a tournament that's. Uh, this, we've not, they've, not, they've done it twice, but they've not done it in many years. But the first one in particular did really well with WWE, did the Gold Rush tournament. Oh, yes, uh, the Gold Rush tournament. Uh, was that not like in 2005? It was in 2005. Featured the best super kick ever. Oh yeah, Shawn Michaels, Shelton Benjamin. That was a cracking super kick. But I was, I would say that was actually match of the tournament as well. Like two guys who had never faced each other one on one. And see, that's the good thing about tournaments. Like obviously, you don't get. Sometimes you would get so many dream matches that you would never expect to see. And the first time these two guys go at it, they deliver like I think they go about 10, 15 minutes, and it the finish was just it sort of told the whole story. Because with Shelton Benjamin obviously breaking out as like a top singles guy as Intercontinental Champion going against a legend like Shawn Michaels, a finish like that is probably is what people are going to most remember about that tournament. Yeah, and then they, they set him in motion for a fantastic run after that tournament where they put him with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, not before losing to Carlito. Yeah, so many terrible things happened to after that super kick to mm. Shelton. Uh, it's like he kicked him into another reality and all this bad stuff just happened to him. Ross, I'm sure you've talked uh, fondly about the Gold Rush tournament in the past. Yeah, I believe there was this now when Edge and Lita first aligned together in the final. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Scott holding back the tears as Lita turned on Kane in the final. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this was the start of the really total... Well, I can't say the word on air, you know, but... Edge at his absolute worst, his absolute heel best, if you will, because he'd stole another man's wife, even though he'd already done it in real life. <laughs> uh, the two of them were not trying to be cool and cocky heels, they were being just despicable people. They were having a go at Kane from everything in his personal life to his in ring ability. Then obviously it led to the Matt Hardy feud. He was still Mr. Money in the Bank when he won this, so you know. Yeah, he had two shots. He had two shots, yeah. yeah. I still don't understand why he didn't take his gold rush thing, deliberately get disqualified while hitting the champion with a chair, and then go, I'd like to cash in now, please, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, this was the first Money in the Bank run. They didn't really. Yes. I don't even really fully know how they can mm. be used until no. he actually cashed in himself. I think the biggest shocker as well was like Triple H going out in the first round to Chris Benoit because everybody was mm. thinking, oh, is he going to get a third shot against Batista? But after. Edge had had his opportunity that's when they built towards Hell in a Cell so it was almost like you kind of forgot about Triple H for a moment but then they reignite the feud after Batista's had a fresh opponent mm-hmm. that makes that's, that's, that's a good thing that a tournament can do it can kind of add that extra wee bits and, uh, and bobs to in that particular manner um, Scott I'll go back to you now this next one because this is one that I think in terms of up and down in the past there's a mixed reaction to how this was uh, received uh, the Deadly Games Tournament it's the Survivor <laughs> Series in 1998 uh, I know one person who quite likes that tournament in this panel um, swear <laughs> Ross mentioned at the start uh, earlier on about tournaments they can either be good if they're drawn out over one time or yeah. done in one night was this a case of too much in the one 
go. Well, you can be accused of that because, like, you had all this and then they put, like, two kind of subpar matches in between, like, non-tournament matches and they try and break it up a bit. But, like, I think the fact that most of the first round matches didn't last that long was a way just basically it got stuff out of the way, like, just move along to, like, the big players to go through and, like, because you knew, like, when Mankind and Austin were probably going to go through and they gave Kane and Undertaker a bye they moved that along just because they wanted them to face off each other even though they've done that plenty of times in 1998 already mm-hmm. but like I think it's a good uh, example of a story told over a whole night it's the one good thing I think Vince Russo probably did in his WWE tenure and like the idea of like a lot of people pointed out when you look at that about how it looks like they're trying to get and stop the rock from winning they're trying to like, prevent from winning but you realise that Bossman is actually helping them because Bossman gives him the quick win in his first match and then he accidentally in big air quotes passes him the nightstick that helps them against Shamrock, so like it's kind of this word. Like it's weird to think that some people thought that the corporate stooge of the thing was going to be Mick Foley, this kind-hearted man in a leather mask, yeah. who comes to the hospital and greets you with Mister Shocko yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and balloons and all the great things. Uh, Ross, they did this similar type of uh, tournament all in the one night big thing at WrestleMania. I think it was in 1988 yeah Obviously, these things would work better in the current era where people are more accustomed to watching four or five hour long shows mm-hmm. and you could maybe do 10 minutes a match. Um, for WrestleMania 4, it had to be done because Mania 4 is WrestleMania and wrestling as a whole was built around Hulk Hogan. That That's just how it was in the 1980s, where the likes of Savage and Warrior playing undercard to him. And it had to be done in the one night. To, to get as much exposure of Hulk Hogan as possible, but at the same time get Randy Savage's title, which would set up the seeds for the Mega Powers, mm-hmm. then the Mega Powers break up, the Miss Elizabeth drama, and then the main event the next year, I believe, in the same arena, four and five or at Trump Plaza. That's mm-hmm. the name he'll tell you. Yeah, so <laughs> um, I think that that both of them, although it might have been too much too soon uh, in one night, had to be done to tell the right story on the night, if you hit me. Do you agree with Rossi saying or have you got any? Yeah, absolutely. I think that WrestleMania was obviously revolved around and there was a lot of hype around Hogan and Andre's rematch from the year prior. Mm-hmm. But did they not get like double counted out as well? Which yeah. was a bit of a, a shock factor. Yeah, I think that got um, DiBiase a bye mm-hmm. and made Savage look like more of a hero because he had to go through an extra Again, match. Did, yeah, did but, you know this was one of his questions in his WrestleMania quiz last year? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I liked about this tournament as well. It's like you had two noticeable names in Hogan and Andre and they both go out in shocking fashion. So that obviously creates a bit of the of the unpredictability and the excitement beside of it because then that gets people thinking, oh wait, we're going to see a, like a new name emerge from this. And obviously you've got the, the underhanded uh, heel in Ted DiBiase and then you've got the new hero in Randy Savage. So I think having that ability to tell the story throughout the night, crown a new champion at the end of it and making new stars in the process, that's why that tournament worked so well. Can I throw, <coughs> before, uh, just before we move on to the next, but can I throw the, another kind of all-night type tournament thing that maybe is forgotten about in wrestling for some people? Uh, it's actually was in WCW. Is then the kind of does it ring any bells off the top of your head there? Just, they did so many to them. Sometimes yeah, multiple ones in the one night. Is this the one that started in 95, the one we did in New Japan? No, I'm talking so, about the one... Was that not 96, that one? 
It was 95, they did it throughout a starcade. It was number one. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of the tournament the night of uh, Spring Stampede in 2000. Oh, I think I know this one. Where they literally stripped the entire roster of the belts that were on the Nitro before. It was the Nitro that uh, Russo and Bischoff. Yeah. Maybe a uh, reboot. Jesus. Came together on air and they decided to strip every title. And they had pretty much every title decided in it. Some were over, were tournament matches were on the night. Well, others, there was a couple of ones for the World Heavyweight title that was decided on Nitro a couple of days, a few days before, and that entire pay-per-view was mostly tournaments to decide every single champion, plus Terry Funk versus Norman Smith. The, <laughs> the commentators in WCW are horrendous, by the way, Good, and people have a go at... Dare you speak bad of Tony Schiavone of AEW? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he really oh, put butts in the oh, seat, oh, didn't he? Um, Let me know whose side you're on. But yeah, it, just a horrendous... Decide, uh, commentary team and they didn't They you could tell they weren't interested they didn't tell you what tournament matches were which the the production team didn't put graphics up telling you by the way this is the US title tournament or this is the world title tournament no it was just a case of match oh by the way he's through it the next round w- what round <laughs> what, what, what tournament is this that's happening Ugh. yeah it's like it's one of those things where like it's hard enough to sometimes to follow one tournament like you said with Mania 4 sorry so you've got all these matches in one night but putting multiple ones in the one night is even worse oh it's just the biggest cluster mess like yeah. you could think oh, and it's, that's got Vince Russo written all over he's the guy oh, that would do multiple tournaments in one he, night he was on, on TV <laughs> but like uh, worst thing about that is it springs down for like uh, one of the things that affects some people and we'll maybe mention this later about how some people were booked following winning Jeff Jarrett is the one who wins the world title and then a week later, thanks to David Arquette, DDP wins the title back and then on the Fallen Thunder, Arquette's the champion. Yes, that was, um, we talked about that in the minds of WCW show how the cluster of bookings at that point in time was, there was a, there was chaotic things, there was, uh, was it um, Russo turning, uh, attacking Flair in the tag team tournament. There was uh, Dash at the beach. Vampire. There was Vampiro pulling Sting under the ring <laughs> uh, for Scott Steiner to win the US title. You know. Can I can, can I bring up a different tournament that's not in the list of yeah, example of bad tournaments? The Wrestling Classic. It's in, the, original, the original WWE tournament. Yes. Um, so Junkyard Dog is the face. Randy Savage is the heel. There's 15 matches on the night. The longest, I believe, is nine minutes, which is the final, which Junkyard Dog wins. Now, bear in mind, you've sat through three rounds of tournament matches to get to this final. Junkyard Dog wins via countout. (laughs) 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 And the worst thing about it was, it was Tio Santana and Paul Orndorff in the quarterfinal who fought to a double countout, which gave the face Junkyard Dog a bye, and the heel Randy Savage had to go through Dynamite Kid to then go straight into the final because they did Hogan wrote the paper before the semis and then it was the one semi-final and then the final so the heel Randy Savage goes through two matches one after another the face junkyard dog gets a bye and then he wins by count out this is this, this was this was with Pete mm. Hogan and Evan Hogan was the only baby face and every other baby face looked quite every other yes, baby face Hogan, was made to look like a chump yeah Hogan beat Roddy Piper in a WWE title match would you like to take a guess how long the title match went 3 minutes 44, 44 seconds, seconds. <laughs> uh, it went first. Oh, no no it was an Iron Man match it went a whopping 7 minutes oh wow that's a, a lot a man. 7 minute Iron Man match no <laughs> I'm, I'm taking a mic <laughs> now, <laughs> now the thing is we've gone through some of the past tournaments there and tournament wrestlers there is so many more that still goes on. They could have tournaments pretty much anything. They could chuck one out. But I'm going to, we're going to talk about 
a promotion in particular who in many people's eyes used the tournament wrestling format better than anybody I'm going to briefly talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling something we don't all say a lot on this podcast we should say more <laughs> of and how they use it now the thing about it uh, Scott I'll start with you on this one uh, they've kind of got this whole it's kind of spaces out their whole calendar because they've got the four main tournaments the New Japan Cup the best of the Super Juniors the G1 and the Tag League mm-hmm. which are pretty much in the four seasons yeah. so it's pretty much helps pad out their full yeah, they, they, it's clear that they love a tournament, <laughs> but like they always have a, a purpose for them. Like it's always the crown of contender for a certain show. Because like the New Japan Cup is a single elimination, and the others are all kind of a round robin thing, mm-hmm. and it's done by points. And like you said, this is like over the course of one, so this is a test of endurance. Like this year, G1 Kotobushi injured his ankle in his first match, and he went on to win the whole thing. And they kept playing it up. People kept going after his ankle, and they kept playing up. The season injury, like, can he go through this whole like month-long test on his, in- his injury? And also, like, the Sabbath Super Juniors always finishes within a week of their big summer show, Dominion. So it's always that's always been like, okay, we've got a junior title match set for that show, and Tag League and G1 always set up your your uh, contenders for Wrestle Kingdom. So it's always a purpose, always a match to set up. And the G1, like. Even though you win nothing, doesn't mean you'll go through a whole tournament undefeated. And if you lose to somebody in the course of the months leading up to West Wingham, you need to defend your title shot. So it's not like they're sitting around not doing anything. They're like, well, that's without a storyline. You're like, you need to make sure you're always like, are they even going to make it? Because they got battered by this person and then they need to put their title shot up against this well, person. What you said there, uh, Dave, about you this one mm-hmm. is it helped create a bit of intrigue because the big thing in this, uh, this year's G1 was. Um, uh, the fact John Moxley just signed for uh, New Japan, yeah, and it was a case of how they're going to make him look strong at the same time as losing. So it's, it kind of throws up a lot of. I know New Japan's not your specialist subject, but when you <laughs> think about that, what Scott's kind of just said, yeah. does it kind of help? Can you see the excitement level to how they use it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised more companies haven't used this whole sort of round robin format because with a knockout tournament, you get maybe. A few weeks at best out of it but with a round robin you know you could drag it on for say you know maybe even a couple of months if you're if you're lucky and obviously depending on how many participants you've got in as well so and with the aspect of the round robin as well it's not like you know one loss and you're done you know it's a it's a marathon not a sprint and that sort of adds as Scott said it adds a lot more intrigue to the booking you know anybody could overtake anybody and it kind of creates a really I don't want to say convoluted but more an intriguing storyline and again that adds to the unpredictability and excitement so basically yeah I just I don't see why other companies aren't adopting a more round robin approach when it comes to tournaments uh, and it's yeah. yeah well even thinking back to our Queen of the Ring fantasy <laughs> of course you would talk about that <laughs> there were a few uh, matches in there that we drawn out including Alexa Bliss versus China which you absolutely <laughs> broke at by the way and China was my fantasy pick by the way so I don't know what you're uh, why you're giving that uh, <laughs> Dave let the man speak <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I'm just thinking back at the 32 names that we dragged in, a round robin with a big speed. I mean, yeah, there were some tasty matches in there oh, in yeah. itself, but <laughs> imagine some of the matches that we could have had in a round robin. Oh, absolutely. Mm. But like, the thing with the round robin format as well, like, was always in tournaments, always an upset, like, and a result you weren't expecting. You can always have these in a round robin thing where, like. Yeah, I know in Japan. Yeah, like, yeah, I know he's made the commerce where occasionally you'll sneak out. <laughs> 
a random like pinfall over an upper guard guy and it's always the thing like you need a certain amount of points to make it to the final mm-hmm. and you can have this story like somebody's on a perfect win and it's just that one win that costs them that big spot in the main event mm-hmm. yeah um, obviously Scott says that one it gives it more uh, a sports based element you know mm-hmm. if we're what like, well, so we're in Glasgow Rangers and Celtic fans you know say you know Rangers get beat by Livingston or Kilmarnock beat Celtic and it's like oh god like now they've dropped points you know somebody else has a chance to overtake them and it makes like if you're a Rangers fan and Celtic have dropped points it makes your match more interesting to you because you need to win to make up ground mm-hmm. and like say Kenny Omega loses mm-hmm. to like, an upset match mm-hmm. and you've got Ibushi in that bracket it's like right he needs to win now he needs to stay focused and it gives it more a real world like part of pressure and a real world sports like sort of feel yeah but see the thing about New Japan's tournaments mm. obviously they use them very well I think they've got the advantage that because they were basically founded as a tournament yeah. like mm. thing, uh, company they don't have a weekly TV show so they don't have to do these over weeks it's a case of pardon me they can de- dedicate shows just to this tournament other things yeah other things don't suffer it's like by the way if you watch the New Japan show this week from you know they go to Long Island Mm -hmm. uh, the two G1 climax shows in Long Island will be the first two match uh, A block and B blocks first matches Mm -hmm. in the group and it it, it, whereas WWE they need to obviously do say King of the Ring you've got the 24-7 drama you've got the Universal title yeah, you've got so the much, women's division they've got, they've got a lot more things to kind of pack yeah, out yeah. on it is, they kind of handle them a wee bit differently as well because the aspects of it uh, you look at the best of the Super Juniors uh, the winner of that Scott you said they've got their Dominion pay-per-view just after yeah. it so they pretty much they win that and then a week, less than a week later they get the shot whereas with the G1 Climax they know that they win that they get the shot at Wrestle Kingdom mm-hmm. so it brings that whole different level of intrigue mm-hmm. that you know when it's happening it's just you don't yeah. know what match you're going to have yeah and also it's the kind of thing where if it's a lesser space of time where you've went through this whole tournament and like you wonder are they, if they've went through the whole tournament with an injury you wonder how they're going to fare going in out with the champions not being as wrestling as frequently mm-hmm. or like the thing with the point system is you can see you've seen it sometimes in this year's dealing where people who get the halfway through the tournament already because they've lost a certain amount of matches you come to say well statistically they're basically out of a chance mm-hmm. at the, the final because they lost this match or if he doesn't win this match he's out he can kiss his late chance at the final goodbye was there not a well I know TNA did a similar style tournament with the Bound for Glory tournament yeah, was there not once was it AJ Styles that was bottom of the table after like three Three Aye. losses in a row. I think that was the Bound for Glory series. Yeah, and again. The, he, he wins it, he, he fights back. I think he just gets into the top four. They kind of did that with this year's uh, uh-huh. G1, I think. I think uh, Abushi lost a couple of. Uh, lost his first couple of matches. I think he lost the first couple and he ends up going for it and goes like, down to that final match with him and Okada. Because mm-hmm. it looked like the B block, which was on my J White, looked like Moxley was going to win it because he was I undefeated was, for the second four, four for four, then he lost the rest of his matches. Then J White, White went in like. Th- 0 and 3 and they said like he's gonna if he wants to make the B block final and win it B block he's gonna have to win his six in a row and the coins like that's impossible and he went on and he did it. Mm-hmm. See that's what goes in with the whole storytelling aspect of it. Like you're telling a story over the space of weeks and months and you know they could have a favourite who's trailing and then they go on this uh this journey to redemption. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it feels like they've they've by the end of it if they've redeemed themselves they actually feel like they've properly earned uh, the payoff from it and you know I think to what Ross just said it adds that sort of 
a real life element of a proper sport aspect like football or rugby mm-hmm. and I think that's why people like to invest in it because it's something you associate with other sports that are often a bit more common there's some great winners of these all these tournaments that we've kind of talked about uh, I'm going to actually quickly quiz you on this one before we go for a break <laughs> could you name the obscure team on paper who won the 2007 uh, World Tag League we're both in WWE uh, they were were they in WWE or have they been in WWE since? One's been in WWE since others not. It's got you for you there. I thought I had it, but I think both of them are in WWE technically. No, I thought you were talking about because I know Carl Anson formed a team with Albert or Giant Bernardis. Well, you got one. You got one half of it right. It was the team of Giant Bernard, better known as Albert, and Travis Tonko. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> what? New Japan was struggling then. Let's give them that. Uh, Giant Bernard Albert also actually won the 2006 uh, G1 Super Cup. His his reward for winning that one was a IWGP Heavyweight Championship shot against Brock Lesnar. Jesus, <laughs> lucky him. Um, some of the names as well um, uh, have won the best of the Super Juniors tournament. It's great that it helps kind of establish them. I mean, mm. the first winner of it was Jushin Thunder Liger. Mm. We've had wins such as Tiger Mask, we've got uh, Ferdo Devitt, better known as Finn Balor, uh, Ricochet, Kushida's a two-time winner, as is Will Osprey. Mm-hmm. So some good ones on that one. And in the G1 Climax, we've got uh, a three-time winner, the Japanese John Cena, as he's known, uh, Tanahashi. Tetsuya Naito, Kota Ibushi, Okada, of course, Shinsuke Nakamura, Kenny Omega, and Kenny Omega are just some of the names. Hiroki Goto, as well, is seems to spring up in that tournament every year as well so yeah. there's some big names in that one see obviously something Dave said about the the redemption storyline mm-hmm. um, I think as well see these round robin tournaments what they have over like a, the king of the ring or a deadly games mm-hmm. see if you build somebody up strong and they win like you know they go from 32 to 1 and then say win a title or they win the tournament it's obvious they're going to hold the title for a wee bit or they're going to go on and win the title because they've invested so much time in them mm-hmm. whereas someone like uh, you know uh, an Abushi this year or AJ Styles in 2013 they lost the first couple so they weren't overbooked they had to fight scratch and claw Yeah. Mm-hmm. AJ Styles just made it into the top four mm-hmm. so that means one there's people that are technically more deserving them that are going to come after him if he wins it and two, there's no guarantee he wins it because this is a redemption story, but he might fall just short. And like, like, there's always a purpose for where the winner's going to go. There's always a date specific where the winner's going to fight the champion, whoever it is, like if it's a heavyweight champion or the junior champion. But of, like, this year, the New Japan Cup, they rearranged it slightly. That made it a bigger tournament, gave more people an opportunity. And so they rearranged it so that the winner would face the champion at Madison Square Garden and I think that was a good idea because it gave him a bigger platform imagine it was Okada that won it and it was a bit a part of his comeback to get yeah, the title to face Jay White yeah absolutely as I said it just shows how well uh, tournament wrestling can be done if a lot of people, uh, promotions went with the U Japan approach now we're going to take a short break but when we come back we're going to be talking about tournaments that we see regularly and still go on pretty much annually in wrestling today we're also going to look at how companies that don't use it as much can use it better and our panel are going to come up with some ideas of some concepts of their own but before we do that 
If you've never seen the G1 Climax and you want to know exactly how it works, <laughs> here are the rules and here's how it works. We'll see you in a bit. Yo, this is the cream in your coffee, your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler, the Jewish canon, the physical embodiment of charisma, the most entertaining man in professional wrestling, the Bernie Sanders of professional wrestling, the best of the best, Mr. American Rana Davey, wrestling the 104-minute man, the main event. I'm really good at Twitter and I am independent. The king of taunts, the product David Starr, and you're listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1, or Grade 1 Climax, is a tournament held by NJPW every year. And although it had taken place as a single elimination tournament where a competitor is eliminated from the tournament upon defeat, the G1 Climax is usually and currently held as a round-robin tournament with winners from two blocks wrestling in the final to decide the winner of that year's tournament. In its current format, the tournament lasts around four weeks. The winner of each block is determined by a point system. Two points for a victory, one point for a draw, and zero points for a loss. New Japan has been holding an annual tournament since 1974 under various names such as the World League, the MSG League, the IWGP League, and now the current G1 name, which has been used since 1991. Although the winner of the first ever IWGP League was awarded a championship title, the tournament now grants the winner a chance to challenge for the IWGP Championship at NJPW's biggest show, Wrestle Kingdom. Since 2012, the winner of every G1 Climax has been granted a briefcase, similar to WWE's Money in the Bank briefcase, which symbolizes their title match opportunity at Wrestle Kingdom, and is often defended once or twice before the event. No previous holder of the briefcase has defended and lost, but it is mainly to give the holder something to do for the months leading up to Wrestle Kingdom. The G1 Climax is a huge thing in NJPW that it's normal for the IWGP Champion to compete in the tournament, where any losses they might receive can very well set up future title matches down the line. But if they win, it shows how dominant they are as a champion. This is Alexander Darwin McAllen, and for some God-known reason, you're listening to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Do yourself a favour, if it's not an episode Ross McLeod or Strack are on, turn off your phone. Do yourself a bigger favour, if it's an episode with that Glasgow Uni accent guy, Delete your Spotify subscription, burn every piece of electronic equipment you've got that could possibly let you hear that moron's voice. And enjoy, I guess. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. 
Welcome back to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm Stephen Wilson. I'm joined by Scott, Ross, Dave, and Kwaku, and we are talking about tournament wrestling and the modern era. Before we get back to the show, I'd first like to thank David Starr, who won this year's Super Strong Style 16 tournament, and Alexander Darwin McCallum. Yep. <laughs> Yay! Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to have you say his name like that. It is the Clyde River Killer. <laughs> the reigning source wrestling champion, Alexander Darwin McCallum! You, you, you put some respect on that name. He's, he's one of the gallant few. He's, he's got you well trained. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, won, who won the inaugural Source Wrestling Championship tournament last summer, and we would also like it. To draw attention to our recent interview that came out this Monday with NXT UK and the Progress Unified World Champion. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> not him, not intro. It's Eddie Dennis, of course, the Pride of Wales, so you can listen to that interview with myself when he talked about his big win at Ali Pali and his run in NXT UK and when he thinks he might be back. Mm. See, this is why Clacker gets bringing in some biggins and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I get paid for writing journalism articles and you don't. No. <laughs> Nino, Nino, Nino. That's plenty. Meow. <laughs> You're awfully judgmental mental for a ginger, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Nino, 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 Nino. Ross and Dave, did any of you bring popcorn? <laughs> I, I've, I've got, got a treat you see your eye. So wait for a cutback, Stevie. <laughs> 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 Moving swiftly on. You want some white men for that burn? <laughs> Shut up, Dave. <laughs> uh, right, let's go on to back to tournaments. Um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not? Are you talking? Uh, <laughs> tournaments we see today. Uh, Mama's boy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pot kettle. Pot kettle. <laughs> Excuse me, my mum no longer likes my ass. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, it order? <laughs> Scott, what tournament do you like? What's the setting? It's just the setting of the door roast now. What tournaments are... <laughs> I do try to keep up with a lot of the ones New Japan does, but like I said, it's over the course of a month or so, so it can't be hard to keep up with them. I'm only talking about like ones that WWE have done the last few while because like I said they've started doing more tournaments and one of the especially the way they've done them in the last couple of years is the uh, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic yes, mm-hmm. especially the last two one because the final of the 2018 one featured the shocking uh, portrayal of Roderick Strong and Pete Dunne and Unspeed Epic in the version that we know today and then we had the surprise and like team of Alistair Black and Ricochet getting together haven't been a better team than we thought they would and we had the intrigue of the DIY reunion in that tournament as well like Trevor and Tommy gone wow. <laughs> <laughs> that tournament's always had the seeds of betrayal in yes. it yeah. mm. always mm. Uh, but they, the latter winners were great because it stopped us having the Forgotten Sons remember them? Uh, no winning no. That tournament. <laughs> no the Dusty Road tournament was really good I mean it was interesting how they did the first one because the first one was kind of just a lot of teams were just thrown together mm-hmm. and established teams who some of them hadn't really hit their, uh, their top peak yet like mm-hmm. so the Revival and American mm-hmm. Alpha mm-hmm. Yeah. so it, it it adds a wee bit to the NXT tag division having that one just to make it uh, and obviously it honours the like, great Dusty Rhodes yeah that's why I, I definitely mentioned the 18 and the 19 one because the first one was only a few months after he died mm-hmm. so they were kind of thrown together 
I think even 2016, they were still trying to figure out what it was they trying. They tried to sell action figures by having that shark cage thing in the final oh. with Paul Ellering. So I think uh, by the time they got around to 2018, TM61. TM61, yeah, the Authors of Pain won that. I think they were t- amazing in that. Oh yeah, the AOP were fantastic. But by the time they got to, because they didn't do it in 2017, but then they brought it back January or February of 2018. So I think by then they properly like figured out how to do it and they used them as storytelling, like vehicles and they did the what the moments I mentioned like DIY get back together and the Undisputed Era gaining a new member oh yeah it's, mm. a, it's a fantastic tournament it's one that hopefully we see more often best thing about that tournament was Undisputed Era won the whole tournament and they only competed in one match mm-hmm. like, that's how awesome they are uh, much like the best in the world Shane McMahon did in the World Cup <laughs> yes <laughs> do not associate him Dave. with Undisputed Era Dave, well right. that, did, did, did Shane McMahon winning not shock your system <laughs> it actually did Dave uh, what kind of tournaments do you like? <laughs> um, to be honest, I think some of my favourites ones are usually sort of just your classic uh, number one contenders tournaments. Like the one that really sort of stood out to me was uh, the one from 2005 to determine the challenger for the WWE champion at WrestleMania 21. Because oh, Cena won that, didn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. Cena defeated Kurt Angle at No Way Out 2005 to become number one contender. But what I liked about that was that. It was predominantly top SmackDown competitors with a couple of outsiders thrown in in between with the likes of Orlando Jordan, who was en route to becoming United States champion at the time, so he was sort of moving up in the world. But then you had a really sort of wild card entry in the form of Rene Dupree, who had the unfortunate uh, task of going up against Undertaker in the first round. But That's not formidable as an opponent as Davey Blaze recently, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... You'd expect like the usual shenanigans going on in that tournament. You know, you'd get an upset victory in the first round with Booker T defeating Eddie Guerrero in the first round, and then obviously Kurt Angle getting a bye to the final because Undertaker and Dupree got double counted out. So there was that element of you know the heels made it all the way to the final, having wrestled one less match. But then you've got Cena, who's overcome. A- was that the tournament that uh, Taker tombstone Dupree on the stairs? No, I don't think it was. I think they were both. I remember he was thrown. Dupree was thrown over the stairs to the barrier, but he wasn't. I don't think he was tombstone on it. Really obscure part of that match to remember. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) All I just remember is Luther Reigns and Mark Jindrak getting involved in like Reigns like held Taker's leg while he was trying to get back in. Luther Reigns. But yeah, (laughs) and it was at the order of Kurt Angle as well. So you know there was strategy playing out throughout throughout the tournament as well. Using Kurt Angle, using his henchmen to sort of give him an advantage. Luther Reigns, father of Roman. Ross, you uh, what's your give me a tournament you like that's currently run? Uh, a lot. There's not many tournaments running at the minute that we've not talked about. I do like the oh, there's super, pl- there's plenty. I do like the super strong style, and I like the Battle of Los Angeles. Oh, you oh. you beat me to the punch because in the Battle of Los Angeles. Battle of Los Angeles also once won by Adam Cole. Baby. <laughs> Give him that one, come on. Um, Never give him one. You're too kind to me, Ross. (laughs) Um, So, the Battle of Los Angeles is the sort of... We've talked before how it's like the Ring of Honor people that then jump into NXT. Hmm. This is kind of before that. This was like... Do you remember a few years ago where players went from Dundee United to Celtics to Southampton? It was just sort of that. This is sort of like that. This is the you, Dundee United of tournaments. You just like comparing wrestling to football. Yes, I can do it so well. <laughs> <laughs> At least you did one that wasn't Rangers or Celtics. Yes, yes, it was Dun- Dundee United, Celtics, Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> Not about it. But um, yeah, this is like, 
it brings a lot of attention because you've got stars that maybe have just left WWE like Cody Rhodes he, one of the things on his bucket list when he left WWE first was to get into that tournament you've got people from like New Japan who will compete in matches Young Bucks are always in uh, matches at the Battle of Los Angeles I believe is Ken Omega not one of the founders or he's like involved in it he's involved in some of them yes in the last few years when he went there he was always usually there he used to have a big special like six man tie Mm -hmm. like night one or two and he's usually there with the Bucks against Mm -hmm. like some combination so the likes of like the Bucks rising stars and the XWE stars and Ken Omega basically just appearing from to the the outside of New Japan nowhere in 2015 to just mega star He, he won the tournament before he was really prominent yeah. in Japan in 2009. He, that, them coming in uh, brings more eyes to it and then you get people like Lucky Kid and Bandito who are were relatively unknown last year and this year. They're in the tournament. It brings eyes to new people and it's just like, really hardcore wrestling fans in such a small arena. So it's like such an amazing atmosphere. It's like the older hanging, arena, the older arena so much, looks so much better. It, it, the people hanging for the rafters and like the floor shaking, you see yeah, the camera they're shaking. They're literally by the apron. Yes. There's like, not really a guard there at the ring. It's yeah. Like, literally as close as they can. And obviously, Super Dragon. Super Dragon! Is always at PWG. Um, so, yeah, that sort of tournament, it's launched so many stars. I believe Kevin Owens oh, not won one. The stars that won this tournament. Kevin, uh, Kevin Owens. Owens did not win the tournament. Uh, yeah. David Richards, Kerry Omega, Joey Ryan, El Generico, but I'm not as sad as Adam Cole, Baby. Kylo, you got one. K- Kyle Kyle O'Reilly. Another undisputed man. Ricochet has won it twice. Zack Sabre Jr. Marty Scurll. Jeff Cobb. And the current winner, Bandito, who was not an unknown last year. He was in the final. <laughs> oh, well, oh, unknown, unknown, unknown to the mains. <laughs> he won it last year. He came out of nowhere. There you go. <laughs> to the mainstream audience, like myself, he came out of nowhere. I think that tournament's so well known because of how... You know that kind of atmosphere, yeah. with it, especially the older arena. I mean, I don't, I've not seen as much clips of the new place they're mm. at, but it's a fantastic tournament. And the scene, um, you mentioned another one which I really do like. There's the Super Strong Style 16. Mm-hmm. Um, done by Progress. It's a very simple tournament, mm-hmm. but they just kind of utilize. I think they utilize the import mm-hmm. uh, kind of local guy combination really well, yeah. and it. Always feels like that whoever's winning that tournament is just feels like a big deal. I think always, yeah. in the, uh, especially uh, in the case of uh, this year's winner, who I mentioned, David Starr, who literally came out and scolded the, uh, Walter in a promo after the tournament. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. The likes of Progress, as you say, it does it so well. Recently, with a relationship with WWE, I believe Jack Gallagher two years ago was in it. I think so. Uh, Chris, uh, Cassius Cassius was in it last year. Was there MD? Tyler Bate, I believe. The, the, the first tournament was, is, I remember it's a stack, you're going to like so The run WWE guys then, we had Norm Dar, Alistair mm. Black, mm-hmm. uh, Walter when he was, he was, was it Big Boy Walter or something? Mm. It was called Big, Big Daddy Walter or something like that. Big, uh, Big, Daddy, <laughs> Big Daddy Walter or something like that. Something like that. Uh, Roderick Strong was in that tournament as mm. well. Uh, well, won that. Kyle O'Reilly, that was who was in it for that's WWE this year. this year. Yes, yeah, I was trying. I knew it was one of the undisputed era. And when you said Roderick Strong, like no, it was Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the the past three years they've gotten a WWE guy in, so obviously that brings WWE eyes to the product. It's been going for a, a couple of years, a good couple of years, hasn't it? I think 2015 was the first one. Yeah. So, that, so you go, you Osprey won it. Uh, it was won by Zach Sabre Junior. last last year. Oh. Travis Banks won the year before. 2016, I believe, was Tommy End, and we've they brought. 
Cassiasoni, and when he was back on his second indie run with Chris mm-hmm. Hero, he went in and he went all the way to the semis before being beaten by uh, Tommy End. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was a way he comes in, he has an impact, and then the import gets puts over the guy who eventually will win the tournament. But yeah, as, as you said, such a simple thing. The WWE guy gets eyes in. Guys that maybe are well known, you know, there's so many times we've went to like a Discovery or an ICW show and we know people, Gene Money, for example, he's just competed in the, is it the breakout tournament? Preview. Natural Progression. Natural Progression. And people are like, oh, who's this Gene Money? And like, we know, we know them. That's sort of like, we're like watching progress, like, who's this one, who's that one? And they're like, you, you don't I, know I, these I, people? I watched him the night after and he was in the previous, previous Rumble mm-hmm. and I seen the bits he was doing and I just had to mention Quacko. I was like, mate, you need to see this clip. <laughs> <laughs> Did Sugar Duncan not freak out that a Zombie was attacking him in the ring. <laughs> him uh, and Martina and Shug had a dance off, <laughs> which um, Travis Banks got involved with, and they then got uh, Los Federales Santos involved. <laughs> <laughs> to which then the next entry was uh, the Chief Deputy Dunn. And who was he, not happy? Who, then, who, got, who nearly <laughs> He's got never happy? But he nearly when he went. When it, he wasn't happy at Santos, then Santos accidentally f- nearly thrusted them over the top rope. <laughs> so you see that uh, Gene Money stock is rising. Oh, yeah. I had a gander at the Babyface app to see who is the most followed. Gene Money is quite. Gene Money at the National Progression Series tournament. There was so many people with t-shirts gone. We bought a ticket to see Gene Money. Which just shows that one. But that's just what a tournament could do. He got knocked out in the first round. And he did a great job of actually putting himself over. Uh, Dave, you look a bit left out of talking about these. That's alright. These indie tournaments. I'm going to go to a WWE tournament, uh, the Mae Young Classic, mm-hmm. to you on this one. What's your uh, thoughts on that as a tournament? It's meant to be coming back very soon. Yeah, I hope it does anyway, because you know the last two times they've done it, they've really... I mean, you couldn't pick a better time to have a tournament such as the Mae Young Classic when the... When women's wrestling is was on such a boom at the time when the first one came out, it, it sort of did the same job as the cruiserweight classic as well. Except in, instead of focusing on just like cruiserweights, this was solely for female wrestlers. You know, and at a time, you know, they were always treated like as a as an afterthought, or nobody really sort of invest, or WWE in particular didn't really invest enough time into it. They were just sort of seen as eye candy and reality TV stars. But this sort of really, for me, definitely put women's wrestling on the map and. To have that, like for the second one as well, to feature it on Evolution, first ever all women's pay per view. Yeah, I mean, you you couldn't have picked a better time to have the final match because that just sort of you had the the network specials to see the tournament as a whole, but putting the the final on Evolution, there was no other place you could have done it. Ross, I had a thought. There was one. There's a tournament I've got on my list here. I'm surprised it wasn't on your first two. It came up. It was the Kick of Trios tournament at Shikara. Yes, I thought uh, you were say King of Hodders. <coughs> that's that's, that's, that's basically the same style. Uh, it's the same style as yeah. mm. That's where they get it from. Yeah, like Chikara, when we interviewed Mike Quackenbush, he talked about how he liked a lot of like, tag team wrestling, and that's why the tag titles were the first titles he, he brought up. Um, and the King of Trios was just expanding on that, like it's a teamwork, you know, making it like his words were making it feel like more of a real sport. You rooted for a team, not an individual. And. It's just, it's such a fun tournament because you get a lot of legends. There's been DX have appeared in it a couple of times. There have been like the ECW Originals have been in it. I believe it was Tommy Dreamer, RVD, and someone else. I can't remember, but I do know the, the Blue World Order got back against Steve Richards, Blue Mini, and Nova. Yeah, Blue World Order on that. Uh, Bloody Blue World Order. 
Why do you not like the blue world? There was one, was it not this year? It was Scott Steiner, Peter Williams, and Jordan Gracie. So it was. That was in the the Trios tournament. They've not had the Trios tournament yet this year. Was it not? But it looks like they will be in the next Trios tournament. But it is such a fun tournament for simple fact. You have Chikara's own guys because they have their own training school. You have a lot of who's who's from the indie tournaments. Mm -hmm. And you have, uh, I believe, the first final. Had CM Punk, Colt Cabana, and was it Ace Steel? Was the other one? I think I believe so. I believe they were uh, against Mike Quackenbush and I believe the other two founders of uh, Chikara. Yes, yeah. Jigsaw and Shane Storm. J- Jigsaw and Shane Storm. He does mention that in the interview. Yes, I, I was trying to remember because sure. we talked about it so much. Uh, <laughs> um, pretty strong stuff. One in 2017 as well. Yeah. So there's so many teams that pop up in it. It's such a fun tournament, and it's not a tournament that's taken, although it is, it's not taken too seriously. Because Chikara is just about having fun at wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a tournament that, even though it's not taken seriously by the promoters and the people in the arena, that a lot of people want to go to, and it's gained such a massive fanfare. Quack, mm-hmm. uh, are you got any tournaments that you like that can't get done in wrestling? Yes, um, I'm going to bring it closer to home, or go native on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Local. Local hero. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of them is Discovery's Hotter Than Hell. Interesting. Another one I was expecting you to come in. <laughs> you thought he was going to say Kick of Horrors as well, wouldn't you? I thought he was going to say the source one. But, but. Oh, no. yeah, but you're bringing up regular. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a 10 minute portion on source <laughs> Don't have 10 minutes. Nine, nine minutes of that is going to be talking about Alexander Darwin McAllen, and one minute is going to be on KOE winning the source tag team title. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, Hotter Than Hell. They've always had an amazing array of. Uh, wrestlers from up and down the UK like the one the year just there they had Eddie Dennis which you can listen to his interview and they've also had Martin Carby uh, and they've gone against uh, people from Scotland up and down people from different promotions and it's always had those matches that you've kind of not seen in a while or you've never seen and the winner of that gets a number one contender spot for the white division championship so it's a great tournament and it's spread out over different shows so that it's not like so intense on the one show which is quite cool but you can still follow and, the story Andy Wilde won this year didn't he? he did yeah. da da <laughs> <laughs> uh, the big man <laughs> but also the source championship tournament <laughs> and what I loved about that tournament it was over three days but it was also the tournament itself was great because you had the who's who of uh, source graduates and people coming in from different schools and stuff. But as well as that, it was the matches in between, some of which I could mention, like Kiwi versus the Hunter Brothers for the source champion, uh, tag team champions. They still not defended those titles again. <laughs> they still not defended them since, but they're prestigious. They got to be kept away safely. See uh, another one closer to home, which when you look back at the first one. Uh, is one that uh, it's put a lot of people on the map. Is the is it the Drew Galloway Invitational? Uh, yes. Wrestling Speed mm. in Scotland and GPWA. Um, it's a lot of GPWA graduates and a lot of graduates from other schools. Uh, it gives a lot of people that chance to perform multiple times in front of the asylum. Always gets a packed house. You know, it's standard. It's standard room only. Um, 
and it gives them their, their chance to sort of break out. I believe the first one had uh, like a Krager in it. He's now Aaron Echo won the first one. Yeah, Aaron Echo uh, is a regular in ICW. One, one half of KOE was in that tournament. I'm yeah, sure. Kai Williams King. Yeah, he so was you've, in got, that. you've got KOE that are certain source of like still the tag champs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people talk about Alexander Darwin's McCallum's magnificent magnificent run. Only Quacko is given airtime. Who else to, talks about to the IDM magnificent? <laughs> we all do, Stephen, and you'll you'll do well to remember that good stuff. Quacko's <laughs> <laughs> only one giving airtime to KOE. They're not getting the right respect to deserve here. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but um, Krieger, he's now you know one of PBW's best ever, I, I believe. Oh yeah. To come at that school, he's currently is it Pro Wrestling Innovation? Pro Wrestling Innovation, who are coming to View Park. There you go. They're doing. My local. <laughs> he's running his own promotion. Aaron Echo won it. He's defeated the likes of Jeff Cobb, who we talked about earlier in the tournament. He's defeated him at ICW. Had matches against the likes of Kenny Williams at Fear and Loathing. Uh, we mentioned KOE. So many others. I'd like to actually see the bracket again to see how many people were in the original one. See, we've talked about the ones close to home. There's one term I'm going to touch on briefly because I'm not really familiar with the history, but it's got quite a great lineage of winners. It's the Ring of Honor Survival of the Fittest tournament, mm-hmm. which they do every year. Uh, it's got an absolute stellar lineup of winners, including Daniel Bryan, Roderick Strong, uh, Cassie Zono, Chris Hero, Tyler Black. Who's he? Seth oh, Rollins. Seth Rollins. Eddie Edwards, Michael Elgin, Jay Lefo, some guy who's a champion in Jay NXT. Was that Adam Cole? Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bobby Fish, Punishment Martinez, who's on, who's Damian Priest on NXT, and Marty Scurll. So there's some good ones in there as well. Uh, Marty Scurll's popping up winning all the tournaments. Marty loves a tournament win. Uh, there's one tournament that WWE have ran quite a lot in the last year or so that they're apparently going to be running a lot more regularly. It's the, the World's Collide Tournament. Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, Dave, it's not getting you anyway. What's your thoughts on the World's Collide Tournament? I, again, you know, it's like with all these network special tournaments and stuff it's a case of you know you're bringing the best talent from well in this case just all across different points of WWE because you've got NXT 205 Live NXT UK and just putting all these guys together is it's a plethora of worldwide talent and you know having I think this one was like the Battle Royal tournament then goes into the knockout and deciding and deciding the tournament brackets via the Battle Royal I think that was actually pretty damn clever the way that they've sort of did that together but no, and because um, you know it doesn't really sort of put dream matches set in stone. It kind of sets up matches in a way that adds a little bit of extra unpredictability to it. And again, like I said before, that's the makings of a good tournament because you could get dream matches, you know, by sheer chance if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as well, it it does do the fans a good service as well because. You know, say they're tuning in to watch. You know, say it's somebody that only watches monthly. They can only watch like the takeovers and the pay-per-views on the network, and they want to see the likes of Tyler Bate and Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole take part in the. Stop take part- saying Adam Cole. Well, he was one of the people. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> but um, even I love that he doesn't stop. I do love that. Next time you do it, next thing you put your hands up, you're getting a horrible thrown at you. Forty-four. But um, <laughs> trips. I'm talking here. <laughs> but I, uh, 
does the fans a service and the wrestlers a service because these ones are too good to be left off the monthly TV in where it likes a NXT UK running takeovers in the UK not at the big four weekends mm-hmm. and where NXT takeover only having five matches it gets these guys on TV and it keeps them doing something it's a, another type of tournament that ran recently, Scott. I know you loved it. Was the NXT Breakout tournament, which was similar? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I actually, the, the final though underwhelmed me because, well, pilot, probably because they were building up, they implied it was going to be a takeover, and then they put it on the NXT before it. And then I thought it was kind of weird that they had Jordan Miles win it, where I really thought Cameron Grimes being the heel of the two, more like brutal. Cameron the, is the one getting the TV time as well. Uh, he mm. got a, squat, a seven second squash match when on the first episode on it on USA so I thought he could have kind of done with it just because like they had George Miles he got his tail shot three weeks later he lost and now he's not been on TV Shayna Basil was look at her yeah he's got a point Prefer, there like, I know that's the thing about George Miles as well I think because I think they wanted a, a, a face heel NXT title match out of that because obviously with Cameron Grimes being a heel it, it just didn't really made sense but having seen Cameron Grimes you know sort of be sort of more the breakout star now he's got the gimmick with the, the top hat and everything I think he actually looks really Trevor, cool Trevor Lee Cameron Grimes is a great character there's a really good job but he's got a new hat doesn't <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just point out his hat and that's it uh, of course we can't talk about this segment without talking about the revive King of the Ring that we just mm-hmm. did there um, overall thoughts on the King of the Ring revival we've had just there I liked it yeah really good um, I have said in the past I'm a fan of it being an endurance thing like quarterfinals, semis, finals in the one night and just going the distance but with the fact that we now have like starting Friday it's going to be three hours raw three hours Smackdown give it nine yeah, hours I think it's Smackdown still it's Smackdown they're going to three and four no it's two hours two and then hours. They're, they're moving 205 Live over to Fridays as well as the third hour Lately, still, but still five hours of TV it's a lot of time to fill you know I, I think doing two, set, uh, two quarterfinals on Raw and Smackdown over two weeks and then the semi-finals and then the finals on uh, the Raw after the pay-per-view so it didn't get lost in the shuffle mm-hmm. which is maybe why they put NXT's breakout on the, the TV mm-hmm. um, but it it made TV worth watching that the likes of the 24-7 title it's a new bit of predictab- uh, unpredictability in WWE and the, obviously we talked about how it can make a competitor. It's made Baron Corbin even more of a heel, which you didn't Corbin think was possible. Corbin had a great run in that tournament. He, he, yeah, he, he, he looked a million bucks in that yep. tournament. And he didn't even get a bypass at all like, like, exactly. a, like a regular heel does. Mm-hmm. And then um, you had Chad Gable as well, the rise of him throughout the tournament. It's looking like he's going to maybe either be on Team Hogan or have an individual match with uh, Baron Corbin at some point. And it's just... It was such a fun thing to do, <laughs> and it, it, I didn't think that they would date properly like, over the weeks, but you know when you look back at the past two times I've done it, 2015, it was a case of, oh by the way, we've brought it back, it's on Raw tonight, and then it's on before Smackdown tomorrow, it's like, <laughs> really? And then the time before it was, oh by the way, next week's King of the Ring qualifiers, and then the week after's King of the Ring. <laughs> it, it, it meant something because it went on for a while, and the anticipation built, and it was people are going oh god please not Corbin and that played up that heel aspect and then the how is Chad Gable going to overcome the odds this time it was just like a case of you know this one it was they actually took their time with it they invested in each uh, each participant's story and the fact that they had twice as many competitors compared to say was it the last like three tournaments or something the last three I think were last three, yeah because 2006 onwards it only had featured eight superstars mm-hmm. at a time 
But I will give uh, 2006, the one that Booker T won, at least they sort of built that over a few weeks and had the finals at the pay-per-view, which mm-hmm. is Judgment Day 2006. The rest were just rushed. See, this- that's, that's the thing, though. They, they proved their WWE that they could run the King of the Ring mm-hmm. and run it well. And it shows that how well, if they use the tournament format right, it could help. And that brings us to our next question. How can companies like the WWE, or maybe not using tournament wrestling as well, use it better? Scott. Like, I think the bigger thing about Corbin is that people already hated him and the King of the Ring gimmick and being the one of the King of the Ring really suits a heel more so because it didn't do more for them. The whole thing about we've said about multiple things about past King of the Ring winners is how they were put after and how they didn't have a plan. The thing with Corbin is the only thing, even though he clearly has a plan, he's going to be part of the, the five man match at uh, Crown Jewel. But like, he, whatever he does going forward, no matter what he does, what storylines in, people hate him anyway. So he'll be, I think he'll be fine going forward with this whole King thing. But it's other guys that, like, unlike Booker T, who got immediately then put into the title scene, and he was fine. You had other guys who got this thing like, okay, now you're maybe over now, and then suddenly like, yeah, they're not as over, they're not as good as we thought they were, and it's like, which is not doing anything with them. Like Sheamus, who tried and didn't do anything. Billy Gunn was maybe having this feud with and they realised like, yeah, but he's not quite the rock, is he? Like, well, we could have told you that before you put him in there. Uh, he- they put Billy Gunn in a weird position that like he was feuding over the DX rights and then lost the DX rights, but then still wore the DX gear. And then, and then got it, back together with the Outlaws. Yeah, and it was it was one of those ones, they put him up against The Rock and it was like, Jesus, we've had The Rock lose quite a bit. Who do we like more? We, we, we prefer The Rock, right? We're going to have to just completely forget King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And sometimes not having a plan affects how you look back at the actual tournament itself mm-hmm. as well. Because sometimes they're fun tournaments like uh, I believe it was Strack and you who watched King of the Ring 99 back in the day and enjoyed it and then when we went back to review it for our King of the Ring rebook show because we knew what happened with the winner and how obviously in the main event with the Austin briefcase thing there was no payoff to that it, it just kind of dampens your view on it you're just like this is kind of crap <laughs> it's the same with like Wade Barrett winning as well yes. because you know he had the whole bad news gimmick mm-hmm. uh, with his uh with his winning the King of the Ring and the fact that I think that was such a rush tournament it was just for the sake of him needing a gimmick change but mm-hmm. I disagree looking back on it because the bad news thing was over. the gimmick that worked yeah it was over and it was the gimmick that worked for him yeah, so ended up being too over for him yeah and the, the King the King sort of aspect of it just did nothing for him sure mm-hmm. he came out with holding the crown and stuff and he had the, the whole Cosmic King gimmick along with Stardust but mm-hmm. I mean, for the love of God, that was... It just He's just a guy who didn't need it, but it was sort of like, tried to act as like, well, let's push him a bit more, just say, look, this guy's a, a big deal, but the King just did nothing for him. See something that obviously we're talking about how they can use him better. I'd like to see them do King of the Ring over um, over a couple of weeks. Have the final, the semi-finals and the final at a pay-per-view, just call it King of the Ring, bring back that pay-per-view, but have the last 32 over two weeks the last 16 over two weeks, the last eight over one week, and then the semi-finals and the final at the King of the Ring tournament. And it just means whatever storylines you book around that means, obviously, you can put them on the King of the Ring show, but if it's not a great build, it's a case of where this show is actually about King of the Ring. And I'd like to go back to the idea of putting it in June and having the winner face the WWE or Universal Champion at SummerSlam. Mm. Well, one of the big complaints we've also said about a couple of the versions of King was like, oh, by the way, we're doing King of the Ring the idea of it being rushed if you want to get a tournament over and make it people like invest in it properly advertise it like in advance and build up the fact that this is a big deal this is something you need to 
tune in to see and not just throw it on the network like they did the 2015 one and like the weird thing they did about Worlds Collide is they, the way they mix up our, we'll put the Battle Royale to the side the first round on the network but we'll then also put the semis and the finals on network if you want to see what happened in the first and second round go to YouTube for a separate video it's just like so confusing like because Particularly, and just to sort of add into what Ross said there, like say have the winner face the champion at SummerSlam, advertise it before WrestleMania happens. Yeah. That way, it gives something uh, to look forward to after Mania, because obviously the time between Mania and SummerSlam is a bit of a a bit of a, yeah. a slump. So essentially, to summarise, you think they can do do tournaments better by giving them the proper airtime beforehand mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. actually making. The actual end product. Yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. I feel like they've actually earned something huge from it. Plus, even if you just put, look, say, the call up four NXT people after WrestleMania, you know, you don't have to have all of them go like, all the way. But even if you get have one get to the mm-hmm. final and have the other three get to either the last sixteen or the last eight, it gives them something to do on TV as well. Because a lot of the times, the criticism of the the NXT call ups is a case of like you look at like a No Way Jose or Apollo Crews when he first came at you like they'll be in the Battle Royal before WrestleMania next year and then sometimes it's like Ricochet or Neville they're protected but at the same time they're not booked on too much one other thing actually now that that I've just thought about it one thing you could add to say if you have the King of the Ring after WrestleMania Mm -hmm. make the winner of the Andre the Battle Royal uh get an automatic entry into the tournament everybody else has to qualify mm-hmm. yeah. so that way it gives the Andre the Giant Battle Royal a bit of meaning to it as well like hey you just won a trophy but you're also now in the King of the Ring tournament yeah, and then what the, then what, what the very convolutedly like for the chance for a buy in the King of the Ring tournament <laughs> oh no no, no you just, just say a, a place in the King of the Ring tournament yeah. not necessarily yeah, a buy you're not getting my it was point, an AEW sorry. reference sorry. oh right okay but, but like one of the things the basic thing we're saying is if you're going to have a tournament and you, you, you pick someone to win the tournament have a plan for that and don't like be like oh, people like you feel you're saying like oh, I remember when so and so randomly won that tournament and did nothing like otherwise like if you don't have a plan for the tournament or people who win it don't get anything out of it it basically does shows like the last few times they brought like, King of the Ring is basically you're just showcasing that you're out of ideas so thought like let's have a tournament for the sake of a tournament uh, for me a battle royal the best way of making a battle royal memorable is by making it a proper gimmick one everyone on it should be proper gimmicks. Andre Giant Battle Royal 34, what was the thing you remember? Matt Hardy, uh, Ty Dillinger, Ted, Delete, thank you very much. <laughs> you must love the gimmick Battle Royal from WrestleMania 17. Oh yes. <laughs> Which lasted like two <laughs> minutes. <laughs> uh, oh, the entrances lasted forever, that was great. Oh, let me guess, you didn't like it because there were not enough punches and there wasn't enough kicks. No, it was just like one person threw it yeah. out, another person threw it out, it was like... Enough of, <laughs> enough of the gimmick Battle Royal now. It's time to get a creative heads on, guys, and we're going to... Come up, get some ideas for untried tournament concepts that we've not seen. Can uh, you first get a Russo heads on here? Can you go first, Michael? Yes, I. 
Uh, we talked about how WrestleMania is a bit of a slump. Uh, the festive period on WWE is a bit of a slump. We sometimes get Christmas specials where Alberto Del Rio runs over Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and and John, two weeks after turning face. Yes, yes. And John Cena fights for the rights of Christmas. <laughs> which I don't think is what the Beastie and Boys... And gets his voice back. I don't think... Which he never lost. The Beastie Boys win this... Uh, the fucking joke's ruined though, you dick. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologise. Um, yeah, so you've got John Cena fighting for Christmas. They're a bit of a slump, so I think we should do... The, I was about to say the ESSR. The WWE Champions League. There are ten... The yes. <laughs> there are ten on the main roster uh, main champions. You have the two the two SmackDown tags, the two Raws, Universal, WWE, Intercontinental, United States, 24-7, and the Cruiserweight Champion. And basically much like the A block and B block two groups five five wrestlers uh, and it's a case of each week over five weeks each wrestler faces each other once and then on the first draw of the new year because like we don't really need a December pay-per-view after Survivor Series just start it then so you've got the five weeks leading up to the new year and then on the first draw of whatever year it is, say 2020 next year if they did it this year, you have the Champions League final and it would be the winner of A and B. So you'd have a Raw and a SmackDown group. Say maybe put the 24-7 champ in the Raw one and the Cruiserweight in the SmackDown one because they're on the same nights. And if it's someone, say, like a Cruiserweight champion, say, who's the champion? Like Gulak, I'm Gulak. Yeah. Gulak. If Gulak managed to upset Seth Rollins, he now has the opportunity. Would you like to face the champion you beat in the final sounds very good the only thing I have on that mm-hmm. how would you decide the 24-7 champion <laughs> that gets entered you would <laughs> whoever was the champions uh, champ, champions league sorry whoever was the champion when the champions league started much like Elias and Carmella have had the rule suspended the rule is suspended until after it and whoever comes bottom of each group goes into the WWE Europa League <laughs> <laughs> where they compete with all the other mid-carders whoever, whoever comes bottom I think you could maybe shake things up whoever comes bottom of each group is stripped of their title so you could have maybe if you want to split a tag team and maybe have them fight on their lead up to Wrestlemania you could have one of the tag champs finish bottom and because he's a tag champ his other maybe maybe say Dash finishes bottom but Dawson finishes second and just misses out he still gets stripped and then the revival split and feud I'm sorry Sarah I know you're screaming at the phone or whatever device you're listening to this on right now but I'm, I know not made a revival feud and I'm just spitballing because they're current champions alright Seth and Braun there you go you want to break them up <laughs> Braun finishes bottom Seth finishes top I, I mean, it's not a bad concept but one glaring difficulty I see with it is what's the rest of the card going to do like Nothing you know, if they're gonna it's the festive period. So that the, the, the simple reason it's on is to give the festive period some intrigue. Because when you look at the post Survivor series, maybe second week of January, the rest of the card, what they do, does not matter. Like, tell me a meaningful storyline from Christmas periods gone by that sticks around in the lead up to WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, we'll go on another concept now, Dave. I'm gonna ask you quickly what's your um, concept in mind. Um I think it's something similar that the the mixed match challenges kind of done. Like their first one was a, they did like a, a league format where they do like the round robin system, but then sort of transitioned that into a knockout tournament. Say the best like 
So nobody gets eliminated after the round robin, but their position on the the knockout brackets is yep. dependent on their placing so you, so in you the have league. A table for your seeding. Yes, you have a table for your seeding, and then you put it into a knockout stage, and then that sort of evens things up a bit. You know, it's kind of like what the the Rugby World Cup does. You know, they've got five teams in a group. The top two from each group go into the the knockout brackets, but they say winner of A faces runner up of B, that kind of thing. Uh, they just do that, but say like the top tier team faces like the team that finishes seventh or something. So it's it's kind of one sided, but it's it's sort of that seeding process that really sort of helps out in you know doing the first rounds of tournaments. And you never know, you could have an upset victory. Is that not what mixed match challenges at the minute? I thought that was no. It was. I think it was just a round robin, and then they just. I, I, no, that mixed. It's a round robin in the top two. Yeah, the mixed match challenge kind of just died in its arse a bit because that's, that's sort of just what they've got now. Except you're adding now a semi final. Well, well, the the mix the first mixed match challenge was purely like knockout. a knockout bracket, but then they had the chance to bring somebody back. This one was more of a round robin, and then they just picked the top he's, two. But he's kind of combining the two. The, yeah, can sort of combining the two ideas together, and then. Again, you know, you could fit it into a, a time period where there's a bit of a slump. You know, you could put it on the SummerSlam one in conjunction with this proposed uh, King of the Ring uh, mm-hmm. concept. And then, or you could put it, you know, during the festive period. You know, you see, you you're, have the charity aspect behind it. You know, raise money for a good cause at that time of year. But yeah, it's, I'd like to see those two ideas of Mixed Match Challenge getting put together. Um, the tournament I would propose... Is a proper full blown, full out fun, proper thought out tag team World Cup. Mm-hmm. So matching people based on their countries, put them in a World Cup. I say all that now, but the probable winners in my booking would be the Japanese announced team. <laughs> <laughs> and then Shane McMahon pops up at the end. <laughs> so, Shane Man. Oh, oh no! Shane Man. Is it is it Mungai that's in the announced team you're talking about? Uh, no, it's Funaki. Funaki, yeah. Aye, Funaki gets an injury Funaki before the final. Funaki and Yamaguchi. So. Shane McMahon subs in <laughs> and defeats Bro. the Chinese announced team. Inning, Mung Ai. More than that. <laughs> but okay, we win. We are number one announced team. Best in Japan, Shane McMahon. <laughs> if you want more details on my tournament, you can go to my article I did on this on SuperFlightStreetSheet.com, which is the NXT Homecoming Tournament. Nice. Which I did a full fantasy book on, which is basically a 16-man tournament eight current NXT roster members, eight former NXT roster members that are now on the main roster. I say eight. If you say it's a group of guys on the main roster, anybody will fancy going to NXT for a few weeks, they'll, fucking, they'll trample over you to get back to NXT. <laughs> but basically, it's a good idea to do now because NXT is only two hours, so you need more stuff to fill the time. You can, even if you do like one or two matches a week, uh, and you have the finals on a takeover, I think the ideal decision would be having a former main roster like a Bobby Roode or an EC3 versus someone like Matt Riddle or something like that. Basically, somebody comes back to help put over a current NXT guy and they get a, a championship shot of their choosing, similar to the breakout tournament did. Mm. And it would be a good idea to build like, some new attractions, some new tournaments, still things in NXT, because like they're apparently they're going to be moving some of the takeovers. They're not always going to be mm. on Big Five weekends, so if they're going to stand it on, they need new attractions to build towards these takeovers. That's, that's an interesting concept. Here's one for you. I've literally just thought of. Dave <laughs> you sounded like a taxi driver there. Here's one for you, son. You can have this for free. <laughs> Here's one for you because um, part of my concept, David, already said, uh, you got a league table, mm-hmm. kind of like with the, the G1 and that type of stuff, and then you fight for essentially to be the top six. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the top six of this tournament get entered 
into an Elimination Chamber match with whoever came first in the tournament is entrant number six and so far and whoever's mm. five and six start, start the chamber so then you've got all their guys fighting for that opportunity and you could probably do something with the other four guys or something I'm not 100% sure you could probably do something like I don't know this is Spitball even though it's a really not the best concept in the world you know like the mm. DNA Feast are filed yeah. yeah I was about to say like, what about a ladder match where you're or sorry like a last man Fucked. How can how can you do a ladder match with one person's job? Sorry, um, <laughs> the feast and the fire works better. Yes, Stephen, that's a very good idea. Well done. <laughs> I do apologise for interrupting you. Yeah. So um, whoever gets a fact, somebody could get fired. You know, mm-hmm. somebody could get like I don't know a transfer, some sort of opportunity. I don't know. <laughs> to, to a different brand, maybe. Nah, I don't, EC3's putting a transfer request to TNA. <laughs> <laughs> so you could so you could have like obviously the, whoever takes the fire to win the other ones could be I don't know like. A match with Brock Lesnar or something mm. like that. <laughs> I'd rather be fired. <laughs> you know, something like a, a shot at the twi- uh, a day as a twenty four seven champion. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's a bit of a that's a bit petty, is it? No, it's like, oh, you came last. Here you go. Here's the twenty four seven championship. Well, it's a day without people trying to chase you, and then you get that moment where they realise shit the day's up and then you have all yeah but what would the, the former champion think of that as well it's like wait wait a minute wait, why do I have to give my title over to the person who just finished last in a, got, in a tournament but you got to think recently Kevin Owens attacks Elias and everybody asks why did Kevin Owens not try to pin the 24-7 champion and he came out going I have two kids three dogs a cat that's too much work to be running about defending that championship <laughs> they've actually put a lot of thought in it just, you hear the reason why R-Truth wasn't in the Saudi Battle Royal because they thought as soon as he was eliminated, if there's like 20 guys out there that have been eliminated, they would just go for him. <laughs> so that's why he, he travelled all the way there and then was not in the card. <laughs> but yeah, that's my thought. Uh, obviously, you could come up with something different, but the Elimination Chamber, whoever wins the Elimination Chamber gets a shot at the, time, at the, at the world title. That's oh, a, that is a really Yeah, not bad. Something like that. To actually make Elimination Chamber mm. feel like something, as mm-hmm. opposed to you could have, kind of what Ross said as well, you could hold it over the Christmas period. Mm-hmm. It could go into that one. You could do it after the Royal Rumble. Do after the Royal Rumble, you know. Yeah, because that could like fill the the other world. Because sometimes, like with Kofi Mania, it was really organic. With Brock and Goldberg already been set, the Universal Title match was really organic. But sometimes it's a bit thrown together at the last minute. The the other title that is. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, that's my idea. So get some, some good concept. I mean, imagine we could combine all the concepts together for the one calendar year. Mm-hmm. The breakout mm-hmm. tournament wins and they get an opportunity mm-hmm. to go into the Champions League. Uh, I'm be the only one who said I just went for a single elimination. All you guys like, so we have a leak and a leaderboard, and the less people qualify for this. But like, but see, so that's why people are so invested in football and rugby because they have that well, expanded I'm, concept. Well, certainly right. I'm not because I just went for a single, a simple single elimination here. Yeah. Old school. <laughs> see the uh, something I'd like to see though with WWE and tournaments in the future. They don't have to do them annually, but maybe every second year. So like one year. You can do King of the Ring and May Young Classic, and then the next year you can do Dusty Roads and the Breakout Tournament. Or you can split them between TV and the network, maybe. Exactly, and then you can do like Cruiserweight Classic every like a World Cup every four years, like a World Cup maybe yeah. every four a proper World Cup, not the American. <laughs> Open. I would like to see them do a version of the Breakout Tournament XE where it's an all women's version of it. Mm. It'll be interesting. Got like Diana Perazzo, Chelsea Green. Yeah, because they've got quite a few Sinatra people. Garrett. Yeah, they've got a lot of people, both male and female, in the program center that they don't know what to do with, and that was the purpose of the tournament in the first place. No, definitely. Some great concepts for tournaments. I think it's fair that we've got first for tournaments. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, it's a perfect way to close off this episode where we looked at tournaments in the modern era. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, we have a huge back catalogue. Uh, please subscribe to us on all good 
uh, podcasting sites, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Podchaser, blah, 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 Stitcher. Uh, <laughs> we're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at SuplexRetweet, and also we've got a website, SuplexRetweet.com. Now, next week, I have committed absolute crazy sin of letting Dave host again. <laughs> yeah, I've hosted many times before, and I think... In all fairness, Dave, it's going to be an awesome show, because we're you're literally talking about the Miz. <laughs> <laughs> you, took, you took my line away, I was going to say this is going to be awesome, but... Yeah. Yeah, so David's panel are going to be looking at the career of the Miz as it's 10 years next week that the Miz first won his first ever championship mm-hmm. in the WWE. 10 Singles years on Monday. Championship. Singles championship, sorry. You never know. It's God, Stephen. Get, get your <laughs> please, why you're not hosting. Please talk, <laughs> please talk about the time. Please talk about the time he was hosting the Diva search and he forgot the website. Oh, he forgot the number, yeah, to, <laughs> to dial in, yeah. On the way that. But then the week after that, we're going to descend into even more chaos as we are going to have our second anniversary show <laughs> featuring a quiz where you the listeners choose the questions if you've got any questions about wrestling or any questions just about the podcast in general from the last two years please send them to me it's steven at suplexretweet.com or slide into my dms <laughs> <laughs> please if you've got any questions for the quiz please please send them in this is, could be your chance to get one over on any of our panellists. Whoa! <laughs> I beg your pardon. It's like in my DM, get your leg over. <laughs> Please do not have a girlfriend. Then. And even with uh, audience participation, Scott's still not going to be, not going to beat me. We'll um, see about that. It was a funny joke, but your delivery was. Yeah, no way. <laughs> delivery, delivery lit hems. <laughs> Yes, so that's coming up in the next couple of weeks here at Suplex Retreat. From myself, Stephen Wilson, I would like to thank my panel. First, David Topney. Thanks. Uh, Ross McLeod. Thank you. Scott McLeod. Thank you. And Kwaku Aji. Thank you. <laughs> we, will, we will see you next week. Take care. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the fuck you think you're doing. Whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of d- tips you know what you should be doing you should be going online you should be subscribing you should be listening to the back catalogue of eat sleep suplex retweet whatever the fuck you're doing that's what you should be doing i don't care if it's your mum's birthday i don't care if she's feeling contractions get on it right now